You are listening to The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon. In this hour, in this half hour, I want to talk about property scams. They are rife this time of the year, especially in the student accommodation market. So when I was in first year, I was looking for a place. I couldn't I didn't get into residence because it was full and I the university argued that I lived relatively close, which I didn't. I live an hour away from the university and I had to take the train. So throughout my first semester, I was taking the, the metro rail train every single day. And that impacted me adversely because I used to be late because the train would just get stuck on, 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 the, on, on the railway. And, you know, as a result of those breakdowns, I often then arrived for my lectures and even sometimes exams late. So I had to move closer to the university, hopefully within walking distance. And so I went to Wits University and I looked for accommodation in Bromfontein and I found a, 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 a accommodation in Bromfontein. I found a place online and I called the person and I said, hey, man, can I come and view the place? Um, and they said, hey, it's a two bedroom. This is the price. And I spoke to a friend of mine. I said, hey, do you want to you also looking for accommodation? Do you want us to do you, do you want to come on this with me? We'll share. And then uh, I think together we can afford the rental fee. And, you know, we did that. And so my friend and I, we went and looked at this place and the property, the, uh, the, the agent. And I say agent here in parentheses, the agent took us there. Took us for a viewing. He had the key. I saw it. He opened it. He let us in. We walked about. We asked some questions about the amenities in the building and all of that sort of thing. And then we were happy with it. We said, okay, great. We'll take the place. We'll go ahead. Please send us the necessary paperwork. And then he sends us a form we have to fill in. And then he says, okay, uh, once you've submitted the form and you've been approved, um, you then have to send in a deposit and uh, deposit and the first month's rent. Um, actually deposit then you'll get the key and then the first month's rent right thereafter and then you can move into the place and so we did exactly that we sent in the forms we got a response that we've been approved and we paid the deposit the deposit for the place was 10,000 rand friend and I split that in half and we paid 5,000 rand each and then we had to pay the first month's rent which was also 10,000 rand and we did that and we we're like okay we'll make it one payment uh, to cut down on time we want to move in as, as quickly as possible and we paid 20,000 rand <laughs> to this into this account of this agent and the agent disappeared on us nowhere to be found went back to the building spoke to the security guard we're like but you saw us here with the guy they're like he the security said i i don't know who that guy is to be honest there are many people that live in this building many people that come and do viewings here we don't know them all we couldn't find the guy at all his number was blocked um we couldn't trace him none whatsoever the, the website that we had found was still up but there was, there was we, we, we opened a case with the police and then it just went cold. Nothing ever came from that. That's how we lost 20,000 rand. Friend and I, 10,000 rand each. And I shared the story a few, with a few friends over the years because um, this was many years ago. And many of them shared similar stories that, hey, that's also happened to me or so-and-so that I know. It's a common story in Bramfontein or in many areas where there are student accommodations. Or even, not even just in student, if you're looking for an apartment or looking to buy a house, you, you may come across very similar scams. If you have, share those stories with us. Give us a call, 86 Our guest for this is a rental manager at Byron Thomas Properties, Arlene Hankin. Arlene, good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you and to your listeners. You listened to my story. How common is it? 
Yes, I, I believe that, that this happens more often than we'd like to believe. Um, and I think what would be important is for anyone, whether it be student accommodation or just normal rental accommodation, to possibly check up on the actual um, agent that you're dealing with. Now, every single agent has to be registered with a PPRA, that's the Property Practitioners Regulatory Authority, and an agent has to have an FFC um, number, which is the Fidelity Fund Certificate, and that means that you are registered with the authority um, and the CETA who looks after the estate agent's um, yeah, environment. How, how so, do you go about making that verification? You can actually you can actually phone the PPRA and actually check with them. Um, so yeah, so they would have a record of every single agent who is actually registered with them, mm, and mm. Um, an actual um, reputable uh, company on their website they would have the agent's FFC number as well. Mm. And so, so that the yeah, rule of you do. You do have some sort of um, comfort in, in who you're dealing with if you have checked up on that. Yeah. Uh, the rule of thumb, I guess, then would be to not do business with someone who isn't registered with, yes, with the... absolutely. Yes. Yeah. In fact, it's not legal to, to um, act as an agent if you are not registered and you do not have an FFC number. Really? Yes. Uh, you actually have to have an FFC number to to be able to to work as an agent. And if you do, I'm assuming is what what is that? Is that a crime? Is it fraud? Is it is it a civil well, liability? Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't like to comment on the legal aspect. You'd have to ask someone in law exactly mm. what what that would constitute. But mm. I do know that um, we are at Byron Thomas. We're very strict that every one of our agents has to have a valid FFC number, and it actually gets renewed every single year. Oh, just out of interest, like uh, I know it's unrelated. How much? How much do agents pay as a as a fee, the annual fee to renew their? I think um, the your first off is uh, sort of one thousand nine hundred. So it's it's a you know it's a substantial amount. Mm, but mm. I think it is important that you know that people do this and keep up to date. And also, what agents need to do is once they registered, you actually have to um, keep you know, updating your knowledge and go on various courses to keep um, up to date with mm. what's happening in the industry. Mm. So you go online, you're looking for a place to rent or to buy, and yes. you see something that fancies your eye and uh, fits your budget. You make the yes. call, you set up uh, an appointment for the viewing. What sort of questions should you ask to the agent during the viewing process? Well, firstly, hopefully you've looked at an agency that is reputable and um, another way to to find properties um, that you relatively safeguarded is on a website called property 24 Um, that's you know there is some safeguard in that because agencies need to be registered with them and um, so that's the first instance maybe to to use um, a website that is known um, and then I think when you meet the agent on site, obviously, if you do like the place, you're going to ask questions like, right, what is the rent? What is the deposit? What are the terms of the lease? Mm. And then also, what's not included in the rental? 
So often, um, you know, apartments are advertised for a certain rental, but that may very well exclude um, and usually does exclude any of the utilities, um, sometimes excludes security, sometimes excludes Wi-Fi. So I think um, the applicant needs to be aware of what is included and excluded from the rental. Mm. And then obviously what deposit is required for, for the apartment. And is there any sort of um, terms in the lease whereby cancellation can take place should the landlord not be living up to, um, you know, his what he's promised. Mm. And so you go, you decide, you've, you've done all those checks and you've got all the answers and you're happy with it and you go ahead. And you then get the property, you move into the property. Uh, in that process, what are things that you should be paying for in, in, in the immediate and things that you shouldn't be paying for that agents might try to siphon out of you. Um, so, for instance, I've lived in several apartments and sometimes I have been asked for like a, uh, a key deposit and then I'm asked for a uh, contract signing fee or a contract fee or an admin yes, fee and then I'm, asked, then I'm asked for a parking bay levy uh, to be paid up front and then I'm asked for um, a electricity supplier or, or, or prepaid electricity levy fee um, and there are all of these levy fees that, that add up and they may seem innocuous and small in amounts it's 85 rand here it's 150 rand there it's maybe 300 rand here but they add up what are things agents can reasonably make you pay for that are non-rental uh, non-rent uh, specific I think that would really depend on the actual complex or on the landlord themselves um, generally, in my experience, we we haven't found that we um, landlords are generally asking for the deposit and one month's rental um, up front. And then as far as the actual drawing up of the lease and the admin costs, um, the applicant is asked to cover um, a cost for all the administration and the, the credit check and mm. whatever else that gets done. So um, I can't really comment. What is a reasonable uh, amount uh, um, uh, that you would say is is within range that makes sense? And as soon as it exceeds that amount, that it starts being questionable. Okay, I can I can only tell you that from our point of view at Byron Thomas, our lease fee is nine hundred and eighty rand for the whole application process and the lease to be drawn up. Uh, does that include um, credit check uh, fee? Yes, yes, it does. Right. It does. Yes. Um, what amount would be outrageous? Say if someone charges me 2,000 Rand for the same process, maybe 3,000 Rand. Yes, would that be an... yes, it would be outrageous. I think, uh, I think probably up to about 1,000 Rand because, you know, that's, I think, reasonable. Mm, mm. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. So now that the whole process is understood, I, I, I learned two years ago, that if you're paying a deposit, that the refundable deposit that your agent holds onto, that they're in fact by law obligated to uh, put that in an interest-bearing account, and they have to give you whatever on whatever the terms interest, you guys, yes. you yes. they have to give you updates every once in a while as to how yes. much interest have been accrued, uh, and you have to keep track of that. What, uh, firstly, what happens then if your agent doesn't do that? 
Well, I suppose then you you have got recourse and you can uh, lodge a complaint with the PPRA, as mentioned previously. So that is the regulatory board, and they do actually online have um, a guide as to how you can lodge a complaint against a particular agent. Right. Um, And then time comes for hopefully... You know, well, let's say time comes for you to move out. You, you've served your lease and you would like to move out of a certain place. And, you know, what, what's the process there? Um, can you move out in the middle of your lease or does it have to be at the end of the lease? What implication does that have on your, uh, on your deposit? Um, and what are reasonable things that your agent can come and say, okay, there was a broken window, we're deducting money for that. Or what are certain things your agent yeah. can reasonably penalize so you for, so to speak? So I think when um, you take occupation, you will do something called an ingoing inspection report. So you would possibly have the landlord, the agent, and the tenant present. Um, the agents generally have a list, um, and you know all three parties will go through room by room. It's always good for the agent, the landlord, and the tenant to take photograph, uh, photographic evidence of anything that may be noted. So anything that's noted um, that's either not working or whatever is, is then recorded. Um, generally speaking, tenants will then have a further 14 days to notify the agent and landlord of anything that that may not or, or may not be evident to start with, but that they then find out is not working, so that's reasonable because I mean, obviously, if you live in a place, maybe you know something stops working or wasn't working, and you didn't, you weren't aware of it. Um, so that and then the landlord also has the opportunity to correct those things and have them fixed and attended to. Then at the end of the lease, you did have that ingoing report. Um, so at the end of the lease, you can have a look and see whether there's been any further damage or wear and tear or something, and that could be deducted off the tenant's um, deposit should things need to be repaired. Mm-hmm. Um, and just by the way, can you as a tenant claim back from your agent or landlord if you fixed things yourself? Um, it's really lease-dependent. Um, so I do know most leases would say that you can't withhold any rent, but I would think that between the tenant and landlord, there would have to be a mutual agreement to have something repaired that the tenant can claim back for. I don't think it can just be assumed. Right. Um, and then when you're... Let's say you and your, your your agent had come to an agreement about things that will be deducted from your deposit as a result of damage or uh, things to be repaired, um, and you've settled on an amount. How long? Uh, what's the longest amount of time they can take before they re- uh, for them to reimburse you your deposit? Um, I think again it depends on the lease, but generally I think it can be up to thirty days um, for you know for things to be either repaired or whatever before the balance of the deposit is paid back to the tenant. Yeah, if you have any questions for Arlene Hunkin, give us a call zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. You can also send us a WhatsApp voice note on zero six one four one zero four. One zero seven. On the other side of this, we take some of your WhatsApp voice notes and your calls. Tweet me at Oliver underscore speaking. Let's take a quick break. Conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. 
086-000-2032. Give us a call if you'd like to ask a question, maybe share your story so we can reflect on it if you've found yourself uh, in a in a you know precarious situation with your landlord or your tenant or your agent, if you've been scammed perhaps and have questions around what standards of practice really are in the industry. Give us that call. Let's have a listen uh, at this voice note. Uh, good day, Mr. Oliver. Um, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry what happened to you uh, as you shared your story. But I'm trying to think as a student, Mr. Oliver, ten thousand rand. Wow. Wow, that is a lot of money for a student. Even for me, that is a lot of money right now. Hector in the East Rand. Yeah, no. Uh, I'll, I'll say this: <laughs> student accommodation has become incredibly and untenably expensive. Um, but that, that that raises an interesting question. How do you measure, how should you think about affordability if you found the place and you've seen the, uh, the rental fee? How much of it can you negotiate down? Um, and how do you determine your affordability? Do you maybe want to speak to that a little bit, Arlene? Uh, if I'm a prospective tenant and I want to live in a certain area, maybe it's close to work, and um, you know, how, how do you as the agent uh, determine if this is a tenant that may a prospective tenant that may be able to afford it or that would not be afforded and as a tenant how should you think about your own affordability index right so so as an agent um we would obviously check affordability by doing an affordability test on on the ppn credits um bureau site um we obviously need to give the landlord comfort that the applicant um can afford the actual place that they are applying for. Um, as far as the tenants uh, and looking for something that they can afford, I think there is such a wide range of accommodation available um, that, you know, with a bit of hunting on a site like Property 24, you can set your parameters of how much you, which areas you're looking for, and also the maximum amount that you can afford. And then those properties will pop up as options for you. So it is a very useful tool, but uh, mm. basically looking for areas, the type of accommodation, and also your budget. Um, so those kind of things work hand in hand between, uh, you know, what you can afford and also, you know, checking that, that the applicant can afford what they are applying for. Yeah. Uh, some agents and some landlords are open to negotiation uh, in some instances, what are perhaps good mitigating arguments to make in such a conversation? Well, generally as agents, I think if we call to a property to list it for rental um, and we think that the landlord is maybe a little ambitious with the asking price, um, I think it, it's up to the agent to try and uh, negotiate before listing the property and saying to the, the landlord, you know, possibly this is out of market range and you're not actually going to achieve your your rental if you look at what the market is offering. Um, so I think that's the first step. And then, of course, there's always room for negotiation between a landlord and a tenant. Um, we've had this instance many times where... Yeah. Possibly someone is interested, but it's slightly out of their budget. And, you know, many times landlords are prepared to, to come to some sort of an agreement, whether it then includes some of the utilities or includes Wi-Fi or whatever the case may be.
Yeah. Uh, by the way, um, Arlene, when it comes to utilities, yes. what are reasonable uh, concessions to make? For instance, I am upset with, for instance, where I currently live. I won't reveal who the agent or the agency is, yes. but I feel like I'm paying way too much for electricity because there's a third party that's being used uh, for, for the meterage and, and, and that sort of stuff. And you, you buy through a third party. And I feel like they may be charging a little bit uh, unreasonably high. Uh, talk to us about those third-party um, agents when it comes to utilities, for instance. Uh, okay. Can an agent, for instance, say to you, hey, you have to use this gardening service and this is their fee or whatever the case may be? Look, you know, I think, again, it, it depends on the actual landlord and the, and the, the um, belief and how the landlord's wanting to structure it. But in my experience, mostly rental units now use prepaid electricity, which is a big bonus, so that the tenant actually has some sort of control over the amount of electricity they're using. Mm. Um, if that's not the case, a lot of landlords do use meter reading companies so that um, a third party is actually reading meters and calculating the electricity and water usage based on on the meter readings, and then the, the the tenant can request a copy of those those readings every month, so that they can be sure that they're not being charged more than they should be paying. Yeah, let's have a listen at some of these voice notes. Hi, Oliver, Maria, April, Springbok. To your guest, man, where is this zonal thing? You either live in a zone three area or zone what? And therefore you cannot pre compare prices of houses. Um, can she maybe more elaborate on that? And also, is there one or other way to get rid of the zonal issues? Because it just further divides us. Because my house in zone three is as big as the house in zone one. Zone one can ask a million rent, I must ask less than 500,000. So can she maybe elaborate on that, please? Thank you. Hi, Oliver. I'm Oliver Gwena here in Pretoria. Um, Oliver, can you please ask your guest there uh, to, if you can, please touch a base on Prorata, on the tenant. How does it work? And then on the agents, because some agents use it uh, to rob uh, the tenants and all that. I had an incident of such. So um, just ask her how does it work and how much normally it runs. So thank you. Aline, we have less than a minute. Hopefully you can answer those two questions for us in less okay, than a minute. I can't, unfortunately, I haven't had experience with a different zone, so I can't answer that question. Okay. Um, and I couldn't hear the second one. His question was what? On pro rata payments, what's the rule of thumb and standard practice around that? Well, pro rata, I would imagine that if it's on a, on a rental for a month, the pro rata would be worked out basically on the number of days in the month and then how many days something was occupied. Mm. I think that's what he's referring yeah. to. So yeah. basically that's what it would be. And just lastly, Arlene, uh, on on the question of deposits, is there a rule around should it should be a one-month deposit or can it be a two-month or three-month deposit or is this uh, agent-specific? Yeah, so I think that's normally what the landlord calls for. But um, in my experience, generally with rentals, it is one month. Um, equivalent to one month's rental is the deposit. 
Thank you so much for your time this morning, Aline. Really, really do appreciate it. Very uh, valuable and insightful information over there. It's a minute after 11 o'clock. It's time for your news. Luanda Maume has his final bulletin.